the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to that show. Hasn't been funny in years, an SNL podcast. I'm your host, Nick DeGilio. I'm a podcaster, a comedy writer, and performer, graduate of Second City, Saturday Night Live expert and historian, and each week we look back at everything SNL. The best, the worst, the good, the bad, the classic, the forgotten. We'll talk about full seasons and full casts, behind-the-scenes stories, episodes, sketches, SNL's historical significance, and much, much more. Sometimes I'll have guests, sometimes I won't, but with every episode, I will always prove that that tired cliche that you hear, that show hasn't been funny in years, is absolutely wrong. And uh, ah, the podcast episode today is entitled, Sometimes They Come Back. And of course, that's the title of a very scary short story that Stephen King wrote, which was made into a movie, which had a couple of unnecessary sequels. But let's not get into that. I'll save my movie criticism for my other podcast, the Nick T Podcast, available here at Radio Misfits. But anyway, sometimes they come back. And it is an episode where we're going to go back to returning talent. Um, Here's basically uh, what it is. We're going to look back at five five particular returns that did not go well. Sometimes when you go back home, it's not good. Sometimes returning, it's like returning to the scene of a crime or a place that was once really great that isn't anymore. Or... You come back and it's just not the same. So we're going to look back at five particular returns to SNL. We're going to look back at the return of three ex-cast members who came back to host, one famous actress who came back to host after a long stretch and a weird time in her career, and most interestingly, we're going to look back at the return, the first show of the return of the creator of SNL, who had been gone for a while. So we'll go back to the very first show that Lauren Michaels returned to after a five-year hiatus. It's interesting to come back to those places, to be reunited or to go back. Sometimes it's fantastic. Sometimes the reunions work out. Sometimes they don't. And in these five examples, sometimes they come back, and it's not very good. So that's what we're going to be talking about, these five specific examples. And uh, Will Ferrell returned to host Saturday Night Live for the first time after leaving the show in 2002, and he said that he thought it was going to be a blast. But then he was quoted as saying, then I realized, man, you can't go home. Um, You can't ever go back home in a specific way. He explained, it's not anyone's fault. You're just on the outside, and it's a very, very strange transition. Now, some people can return back to SNL, and many have. Cast members have come back to host, and people make surprise appearances. And sometimes it's great to see the old talent or the returning actors and actresses or talents that were part of SNL that come back, and it's great. Martin Short and, Sarah and, uh, and Steve Martin had a fantastic uh, return episode as co-hosts just this past season. Uh, Adam Sandler and Eddie Murphy returned back in recent years. Eddie Murphy's uh, episode in particular a few years ago was fantastic when he returned after, you know, saying he would never return after having a bad, you know, sort of breakup with SNL. Um, but it was triumphant. But uh, there have been a number of times over the show's 48 seasons when highly anticipated returns turned into disaster. Uh, Let's begin with one of the most notorious ones, shall we? One that is covered extensively in the the remarkable book, which I highly recommend to anybody, Live from New York, The Complete Uncensored History of Saturday Night Live, as told by its stars, writers, and guests. It's by James Andrew Miller and Tom Shales. Uh, It's on my coffee table. It is next to me uh, all the time. Um, I can't host that show, Hasn't Been Funny in Years, SNL, without having this as a reference tool. It is without question. I've read every book about Saturday Night Live, um, you know, written by uh, people who were there, written by people who weren't there, uh, memoirs by cast members and creators and writers. I've read every single book about Saturday Night Live. But the Bible, the quintessential, the best book ever written about SNL is Live from New York by Miller and Shales. It's remarkable. 
Well, they cover this specific episode that we're going to jump into first because it's probably one of the most legendary, one of the most notorious returns um, ever uh, in this category. Uh, It happened on February 18th, 1978. It was season three, episode 11, and it was uh, Chevy Chase's return to Saturday Night Live. Chevy Chase was your host. Billy Joel was your musical guest. Um, Chevy Chase notoriously, famously, left after the first season, did a couple of shows in the second season, but left to be a movie star. He was the breakout star of the very first season of SNL back in 75, 76, and he left. He got a big ego, and he left, and he went out to make some movies, and then he came back during season three. He left during season one, so a full season and a half had passed, and even more when he came back, and uh, he had quite an ego. Um, If you read this book or any book on SNL, you will hear recurring, one one recurring theme in all the SNL books is that Chevy Chase is an asshole, that he was a pain in the neck to work with, that he was a dick, that he said horrible things, he had a massive ego, and up until this day, actually, there are reports of working with this guy. I mean, you know what happened, I don't know if you do, but horrible things happened between the creator of of community, Dan Harmon, who brought Chevy Chase back from the brink of like nothing in his career, gave him a great funny role in community, and then Chevy Chase inevitably turned into an egomaniacal racist dick while he was on the set. And the stories of the assholish behavior of Chevy Chase are notorious, and they're legendary. And one of the big stories was that night on February 18th, 1978, when Chevy Chase returned. Uh, I will just read from some of the, 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 the people talking about this return from the book. Um, and the first here's, uh, so he returned again on February 28th, 1978. He hadn't been back since he left, um, you know, and uh, went out and made some movies. And he clearly was Mr. Hollywood and all this stuff. And he came back. And Bill Murray, by the way, was kind of his replacement. Well, he was his replacement. Chevy Chase left, they brought in Bill Murray. Um, and the cast was still there, the regular, the original, uh, not ready for primetime players, all of whom who had some sort of problem with Chevy, first his ego. A lot of people were jealous, especially Belushi, that he broke out, that Chevy Chase broke out. And Bill Murray was always courted the replacement. And so when Chevy Chase came in, in February of 1978, during season three, with his ego, with his asshole behavior, with making demands, it did not sit well with the people that he left behind and the new cast member, Bill Murray. And some crazy shit happened. That full week leading up to and including what happened while the show was being performed live. Jane Curtin said, my husband and I had tickets to the ballet and I had uh, on my best clothes. And then Lauren, about 10 minutes before we were leaving to go uptown, said, I need to talk to you right now. Can you come up to 30 Rock? And I said, we have tickets to the ballet. And he said, it'll only take a minute. So I went up there and Chevy proceeded to say that he thought he should be doing update this week. And I said, "Okay." And then he went through this whole thing about how his fans wanted him to see him. And I said, okay. And then Lauren kept backing him up and saying, uh, he needs to do this. He should do this. The fans want it. And I'm going, okay, okay. They were expecting a fight. But honestly, I didn't care because, uh, you know, it was just one week and I wanted to leave. I wanted to go to the ballet. Um, So, uh, you know, while it's happening, you know, Chevy Chase comes in, demands that he wants to do updates. So they rewrite all of update. At this point, it's co-anchored by Jane uh, Curtin and Dan Aykroyd. Um, and they do a bunch of bits, which I'll play in a couple of seconds, where Chevy Chase basically comes in and takes over Update because he was convinced that everybody on the planet only wanted him to do Update. So Jane Curtin is called to the office where they insist that he's going to take over, and she's like, fine, I don't care. Just, I don't want to deal with this. So she went to the ballet. Chevy Chase. This is what Chevy Chase said about this crazy night, which included a backstage fist fight, uh, lots of craziness during the um, during the week of rehearsals and writing and blocking and all that stuff, and lots of crazy asshole-ish demands that Chevy Chase made. Uh, But here's what Chevy Chase said. And again, I'm going to read this. This is verbatim what Chevy Chase said. It's in the book about the night he returned. And as I read this, just listen to how he speaks, the wording of what he says, and how even when he's like kind of apologizing or talking about some of the things that may or may not have been his fault, he always takes a step over about how he's better and he's the professional and whatever. So this is what Chevy Chase said about it. It was difficult the first year I went back to host because I went back feeling that I was still part of the family there and at the same time feeling probably, in retrospect, full of myself because I had become pretty famous. And I think that that had never, I never realized how envious John had become of me 
um, or had been while I was on the show. In fact, it was Lauren who verified for me this later on that John had been pretty upset that I had become the star and not him, even though I told John many times. It was because I was saying my name every week and others couldn't pronounce his name or even spell it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, and that became, you know, uh, a, a bit, uh, uh, albeit uh, dead later on. Um, but who knew? I wish I still, I wish he were still around today so that we could talk. He says that. So that first time I came back, two things were at work. One was my feeling that I would come back and the audiences would really want me to do a fall and they would want me to do update. And this was egocentric of me because Jane had been doing it all year um, and I was not thoughtful in that sense. I think in retrospect um, that I shouldn't have done that. In any case, John had also, as I later found out, been spending pretty, uh, uh, been spinning a bunch of stories about me out of jealousy or whatever to Bill Murray, um, who was very protective of Jane and also, generally speaking, a very feisty fellow. And I'm sure Bill wanted to get into, uh, wanted to take me down. So Billy and I got into a preliminary fist fight that never really came to fruition, but it came real close and it happened just before I went on the air and it was not good timing and that was painful for me. And in a sense, John caused that fight with Billy and we both ended up hitting John by mistake. Billy was out of line. I had been out of line to some degree, but certainly Billy was out of line. He initiated everything. Lauren later told me about uh, what happened. So Bill came to me, uh, tried to throw me off a little bit just before I was going out, and ultimately Billy was still Billy, and I'm still me, and it didn't phase me at all. I had a show to do. I felt at the time I was a lot tougher than Billy or anybody else might have thought. I had grown up on the edge of East Harlem. I had been in a lot of fist fights. <laughs> I didn't feel like anybody could take me, Billy Murray or anybody else for that matter, and uh, as intimidating as he can be at the time, I just let it pass. I was angry, but I just let it go, thinking big deal. Um, a lot can happen, and I've got a show to do. Others might have withered uh, at this, but I was taught from my childhood, who, and I had an older brother who used to kick the crap out of me all the time. So he comes out, he says all of this. Then he says, I think Billy was trying to take me down a rung, and I probably was up a rung, and I was probably a little too full of myself. I realized when I left that maybe uh, I hadn't been such a great guy. Maybe we weren't so close. Maybe I'd been somewhat of an asshole, left with self-doubts. And as time went on, it was a little easier to do it over the years because, you know, it's like water under the bridge. Uh, but it, it did change my perception. My perception had been all along after that first year that it was a really tight, close-knit family and that I happened to emerge because of something that someone had written and because some people were responding to it in jealousy. Bill Murray says this. I got into a fight with Chevy Chase the night he came back as host. That was because I was the new guy, and it was sort of like my job to do that. Uh, it would have been pretty petty for someone else to do it. Um, it's almost like I was goaded into it. You know, I think everybody was hoping for it. I did sense that. I think that they resented Chevy for leaving, for one thing. They resented him for taking a big piece of their success and leaving um, and making him, uh, making his own career go. Everybody else was from the improvisational world where uh, you didn't make it ab about you. You made it about the ensemble, and it was a shock. And at the time, Chevy was a big potato in the stew. He got the most sketches. He had the most influence. He got the most publicity, all of those things. So they didn't miss that part of him. But there was still a hangover feeling that he shouldn't have left and that everybody uh, had gone with him. Um, uh, it did leave a big vacuum because he was, a really, heavy, he was really heavy in those, in those shows. And it was a whole year when the writers ended up doing things that writers do. They write for guys that they don't know. Um, the other actors had to scratch and teach the writers how to write for them. They were new people who had to be written for. Um, but they weren't new people. Um, so when you become famous, you've got a year or two where you act like a real asshole. You can't help yourself. It happens to everybody. You got two years to pull it together or it's permanent. Notice he doesn't say anything about how permanent it was with Chevy Chase. John Landis has a fantastic recollection of this very night that we're talking about. Uh, I had only been to SNL three times, and one time I was there, Chevy Chase and Billy were having a huge screaming fight in the hallway, and Michael O'Donohue and Tom Davis were holding them back. And John and Danny jumped in because Chevy and Billy were going to come to blows. I mean, it was a huge argument. And the one thing that I remember about Bill Murray, I don't know Bill Murray, but he was screaming and, you know, foaming at the mouth. Fucking Chevy in anger, he's saying. Medium talent, he screamed. And I thought, oh, boy, that's funny. In anger, he says medium talent. That really impressed me. I went, so this Bill Murray guy, who is he? It's John Landis. 
Lorraine Newman said there was a lot of tension between Chevy and Billy all during the week, and I don't know why. I don't know if Chevy provoked it, but it culminated with Billy saying to Chevy, why don't you fuck your wife once in a while? And I don't even remember who threw the first punch, Billy or Chevy, but it was ugly. I'd never seen guys fighting like that, let alone people I knew. You know, I don't know how he did it, but Chevy went out there and did his monologue a few minutes later. But watching him from the, from the floor, I could tell he was shattered. So all of this stuff happened right before the beginning of the show, right before the cold open when Chevy Chase had to reprise his uh, Gerald Ford imitation and the monologue. They'd gotten into a huge fist fight. Billy, 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 Billy Murray punched him. They punched each other. John Belushi, who was kind of the guy who coaxed this whole thing along, was there. This all happened... Minutes before the live broadcast happened, after all of these stories that Bill Murray told, that Chevy Chase just told, John Landis, Lorraine Newman, Jane Curtin, here's what Lauren Michaels had to say. Billy Joel, the musical guest, he was out there singing his heart out, and all this was going on backstage. Those are, those are Lauren Michaels' thoughts. All right. So um, let's listen to the cold open. Uh, this is the cold open. Now keep in mind, this is Chevy Chase on stage alone for a couple of seconds here. And he's, for some, you know, they had to bring Gerald Ford back, but Gerald Ford obviously was not president in 1978. Carter was. But they had to have an excuse to bring him back to do, you know, his, you know, his Gerald Ford because Chevy Chase insisted that he do Gerald Ford, even though it wasn't timely political comedy. So keep in mind that while Chevy Chase, while this is all happening, Bill Murray and he just got to do a huge fist tight, and he got smacked around by Bill Murray while uh, John Belushi was cheering him on and John Landis was standing in the corner. So he had just been punched by Bill Murray. And just got into a huge fight. Now, if you watch this clip, and you can, again, this is um, season three, episode 11, Chevy Chase, Billy Joel. Um, If you watch this clip, he's completely unnerved. His hair is all messed up. He's shaking a little bit. He's completely off his game, completely. Um, And even more so than he usually was. Um, But yeah, so just keep in mind, he almost got his ass handed to him and just was in a huge scrap minutes before. Little House on the Prairie burns to the ground will not be seen tonight so that NBC may present the following special program. And now, in response to Ronald Reagan's address on the Panama Canal issue, here is former President of the United States, Gerald R. Ford. Hello, my fellow North Americans. It feels so good to see you again, and I've not seen you. I've not seen you or addressed the nation since my last time being president. Tonight, I wish to urge the ratification by Congress of the Suez Canal Treaty. I feel that we should turn over the canal to our tiny little neighbors to the south, the Panamites. Excuse me. Hello? Honey, it's soup now. Thank you, Betty. I'm on television now. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Bring it down. You know how I am. When it's soup, I'm on the go. Okay. You know, Liberty, sit. Every administration since Lyndon Johnson has been in favor of this treaty. I would say that was Johnson, Nixon, Carter, me. That's three. Three and a half if you count me. Yeah, not good. Uh, and then it went on. Jane Curtin came out playing uh, his wife, and then he got up and he did a map thing. He falls down, he knocks a table over, and he takes the fall, and then says, live from New York, it's Saturday night, and the show starts. This all happened on stage when, a few minutes before that, he and Bill Murray were squaring at each other, screaming and punching. Uh, and then he comes out for a quick change, and he does his monologue, and this is a little snippet of his monologue. So that didn't go over well. Like, it bombed. It wasn't funny. He fell down, and everybody went, oh, there's Chevy falling, and there's him not really being funny as Ford, and also clearly his, his game is off completely because Bill Murray almost just beat the shit out of him before he walked out on stage. Here's a bit of his monologue, which happened just after. He, he's buttoning up his shirt as he's coming out because he had to change from his Gerald Ford costume. Here. Gentlemen, Chevy Chase!
you very much. I can't believe this. It's been over a year since I've been gone and uh, really miss the show. I'll tell you one thing, I miss more than anything. <laughs> Quite seriously, and that is the applause. I have missed that more than anything. I just want to say that my friends, the people who put on Saturday night, even since I've been gone before or after, still put on the best damn comedy show on the air. Hey! And I thank you. I thank you on their behalf. I do. I must tell you, it's great to be back in this town. And I think, you know, let's be honest. New York City is the greatest city in the world, isn't it? This trip, I've been spending a lot of time in Brooklyn. <laughs> Yesterday, I don't know, you don't, in Los Angeles, we don't have many delicatessens, you know? They don't, they don't have Negroes. They have nothing, you know? It's just... <laughs> but I spent a lot of time yesterday uh, at a little delicatessen in Queens. Queens. Of course, there's no place more exciting than Manhattan, to me. I find Manhattan is... Unless, of course, that place is Queens. Okay, so the entire monologue, basically, of which he was unsure. By the way, he improvised that Negro line. <laughs> yeah, uh, the genius of Chevy Chase, improviser. Uh, anyway, but the whole bit, the, the whole thing became about applause. So he kept doing stuff to get applause from the audience. Uh, and then he broke into a song, and then he brought the cue card guy up on stage with him. Um, it was a mess of a monologue. And again, he was disheveled. He clearly was still, you know, uh, rattling a little bit from what just happened backstage. And as the show went on, it didn't get much better. The material wasn't very good. Um, the insistence of him doing certain things was made very, very clear with the level of his appearances on the uh, episode. Uh, they did a sketch with uh, him and, um, and, and, uh, and Gilda Radner in bed after having sex, and it's really an uncomfortable, weird thing with him stroking his ego. Uh, they did do a very weird, uh, like, follow-up to Bassomatic called The Moth Masher, which uh, 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 Dan Aykroyd came out as the same pitchman who did the Bassomatic thing, but this time they took they put moths in, like, a, in a, in a waffle iron. Uh, so there was that, which wasn't very good. There was a weird Kennedy sketch where Dan Aykroyd played JFK, Bill Murray played Bobby Kennedy, and they just kept saying cl clam chowder all the time. Um, and there was no Chevy in that, by the way. Uh, and then Update came, and uh, at Update, uh, as you heard from the stories in the book, Chevy Chase was like, people want to see me do Update. I need to do Update. So they wrote him in in very weird ways, uh, and, um, and they not only did that, that he had a fake phone call where Dan Aykroyd left, so he replaced Dan Aykroyd, and then he brought Belushi out. Belushi did a thing with Jane Curtin where he was always yelling at Jane Curtin, throwing her around and stuff. Well, he knocks her out, punches her out, so that Chevy Chase can do uh, Update by himself as part of the wacky bits that they're doing. Uh, and then they bring out Gilda Radner, who plays Emily Latella, when he would come out, when she would come out a lot regularly, uh, when Chevy Chase was the, uh, was the anchor at that time. So here's a little bit of the end of Update with uh, Chevy Chase, who has now taken over Update. They bring out Emily Latella, and now they're just going to basically trash Jane Curtin. Um, so here's a, a little bit of that. And keep in mind that Chevy Chase is mugging this whole time. Cheddar Chase! Cheddar! How are you? Oh, kiss me on the lips. Oh, Cheddar, I've missed you so much. You been okay, Emily? Oh, yes, yes, but you know, I'm fine, but I haven't been able to get much work lately. Why not, Emily? What's the matter? Well, Miss Clayton doesn't like me on the news. She says I'm irresponsible, and she keeps yelling at me whenever I make a little, teeny, tiny little mistake. No, I cannot believe that Jane Clayton's like that, Emily. Oh, well, don't be fooled by her, Cheddar. I mean, that girl is Mussolini in drag. <laughs> really, she gets me so riled, I get so upset, I can't believe it. Really, whoa. Phew. First I get slugged by Belushi, now I gotta, now I gotta deal with you. Just get out of here, will you? Come on. <laughs> oh, excuse me. I said scram. <laughs> Beat it. Get out of here. Oh, Miss Clayton. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Miss Clayton, you look like hell. <laughs> That's not funny. Well, uh, I told you she couldn't take a joke. 
Take it easy, Jane. Don't be so rough on her. Don't tell me how to act. Damn it, this is my news show now. I'm the star of it. You left, I took over and brought some integrity to it. None of your schoolboy cuteness mugging into the camera talking like Mr. Ed. <laughs> I've given this show credibility. I've given it straightforward, informative news. But, but Miss Clayton, I... Shut up, you feeb. So what do you do? You come back, you give Danny some story about his mother dying, try to pull the same thing on me, just to take over so you can satisfy your inflated ego. Well, go back to Hollywood and do it, because it won't work here. This is my show, and I won't be pushed around by Belushi or you or her. Am I making myself clear? Crystal clear, Miss Curtin. We're sorry. We are sorry, Jane. I didn't mean to aggravate you like this. Uh, I guess I just wanted to do update one last time, and uh, I'm sorry. Got carried away. Sorry. It won't happen again. We'll see that it doesn't. On your mark, get set, go. Bitch. Bitch. <laughs> And now, as a public service to those of our viewers who may be old, hard of hearing, I will repeat PP, PTKPAKA. I will repeat the top story of the day, aided by the assistant headmaster for the New York School for the Hard of Hearing, Mr. Garrett Morris. Our top story tonight. Our top story tonight. Haldeman says Nixon stole silverware. Haldeman says Nixon stole silverware. Smeared oatmeal on his lapels. Killed a Cuban busboy. Killed a Cuban busboy. And slept in packing crates. And slept in packing crates. And that's the news tonight. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Good night and have a pleasant evening. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. So that's uh, that's it. Uh, and um, not very good. <laughs> it wasn't very good. And there was, a, there was a lot of truth coming out in what Jane Curtin was saying there. Um, so... Then the rest of the show, they did a weird luggage inspection uh, drug thing uh, which, uh, in which Bill Murray had to act with uh, Chevy Chase. He did a few times. There was a meta joke sketch where the, the girls, uh, Jane Curtin and uh, Lorraine Newman and Gilda Radner, were kind of doing the Python guys in drag, uh, which turned into a meta joke with Bill Murray as a director, and, and that wasn't very funny. And then the land shark came back. Chevy Chase came back as the Land Sharks, so they brought that out. And then the Good Nights happen. And during the Good Nights, everybody's out on stage. Bill Murray is, or sorry, Chevy Chase is at a piano, you know, playing a, at the piano, looking all smug. And, and if you look, he's surrounded by the cast. They're out there saying their Good Nights. And the last person out is Bill Murray. And Bill Murray is coming out, and he kind of waves at the camera, but he's clearly pissed, and he's pacing back and forth, and Belushi is kind of holding him back. So uh, that hatred uh, lasted the entire 90 minutes of the live show, starting with the fight backstage to Bill Murray wanting to kill him live during Good Nights, where Belushi is laughing, by the way, because fucking Belushi started the whole thing, kind of. So I think this is the most notorious case of sometimes they come back. This is the most notorious. Chevy Chase coming back for the first time after he left uh, to go get a big, uh, big uh, Hollywood uh, uh, career. Uh, in February of 1978. That's the most notorious of the returns. Now, another one, speaking of Bill Murray, Bill Murray came back to host for the first time on March 7th, 1981. This is season six, um, episode 12. Um, And unlike uh, Chevy Chase's disaster, uh, you can't blame Bill Murray for his disappointing return to the show. He just had the misfortune of agreeing to host during season six. Uh, And this was during the only thing they had seasons of uh, was were Eddie Murphy and a little bit of Joe Piscopo. It was a rough, rough transitional time. Um, it was in Gene Demanian took over, and then Dick Eppersall took over. Um, it was the years that Lauren was gone. But Bill Murray came back, and he said that he was gonna he was going to uh, to host. And he came back, and you know the thrill of seeing a young Murray hanging out with uh, with Bill Murray hanging out with Eddie Murphy and doing bits with him. Uh, and Murray said that everyone, uh, they talk about the, that how much they, the, in the cold open, which I'm going to play, they talk about how people hate the new show and Murray knew, and he liked Lauren Michaels replacement, Gene Demanian from the time that they both worked on the show and he wanted to help. And he says, so I went in there. It was a tough week. We worked really hard writing and rewriting and rewriting. Murray had said part of the problem in Murray's view was that the new kids didn't understand how hard they had to work to make a great show comparisons to the original cast didn't help. He said they were going through their first brush with fame, and even at that level, uh, the world just wasn't ready for a brand new group, and it was incredibly, incredibly tough for them. 
So the show itself wasn't very good. The bits weren't very funny. Um, and uh, the rundown of the show, uh, Bill Murray uh, did the cold open. He had a weird monologue where he jumped into the crowd, and then Eddie Murphy came out because Eddie Murphy was the only cast member that everybody loved. And they did a bit together. They did a couple of uh, uh, a weird uh, uh, commercial sketches. They did a formula for a good life sketch. They did a fake script and development sketch. They did uh, uh, an altered water, which was kind of a throwback to the uh, to the to the to the Perrier commercial that uh, Bill Murray did years ago. They did a couple of news breaks. Delbert McClinton did a couple of songs. Um, they did a cut flowers sketch where Brian Doyle Murray showed up, Bill's brother. Uh, they brought back Nick Rivers, the lounge singer. Paul Schaefer came back and they did that. And, uh, and that got the biggest pop of the night. Uh, and Bill Murray provided uh, a, a much needed boost to SNL. The critics were regularly panning it. Um, they decided to replace uh, Jean Demanian, uh, and her replacement was Dick Ebersol, and he happened to be there that night. Now, here is the cold open, and this cold open represents them acknowledging the problem with Bill Murray returning and acknowledging the problem with, you know, the, the cast themselves, which they do in almost all of the openings here, and all the cold opens or the monologues, uh, acknowledging the problem with the returning cast member or star is brought up in the monologue and sets the tone for the show. So here's Bill with the cast of um, season six. This is from March 7th, 1981, season six, episode 12. Bill Murray, Delbert McClinton was your musical guest. This is the cold open with the entire class, including Bill Murray, uh, Tim Kazarinski, and uh, Joe Piscopo, and all the others, uh, you know, looking for advice from uh, Bill Murray and his dressing room. <laughs> so how's it been going? Well, it ain't exactly so easy, Bill. Everybody keeps comparing us to the old cast. Mm -hmm. And the press hasn't been overly kind. Yeah, I read that stuff. Uh, Saturday Night Live is Saturday Night Dead. Oh, oh man, come on. <laughs> from Yucks to Yuck. Uh, my favorite, though, is Vile from New York. Hey, oh, please, Bill, come on. It's funny, it's funny. But uh, don't let that uh, bother you. You know, it takes a long time to get started. I mean, you, a whole new cast, all new writers. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. What do they expect, you know? Yeah. The ratings are still fine, you know? Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. even if your ratings went up higher than the old show, you know, yeah. people would still say the old show was better. Oh. You know? true. That's true. That's true. Maybe it was. But, uh, <laughs> that doesn't matter. So what? What if the show gets canceled and you guys never oh, get to do movies or anything don't like that? Don't say that. It's well, well, good. I mean, you know, Charlie, you're very funny. I love those rocket reports. You really mean that, Bill? People are telling me you're imitating me, Charlie, though. I don't like to hear that. <laughs> and uh, watch your mouth. Uh -huh. Clean it up. <laughs> Who are you? What's well, I, I, I'm Gilbert. Gilbert. Gilbert, cheer up for me, will you, pal? Huh? Come on, you're a very lucky human being. You're very lucky, you know? Nobody walks up to you on the street and says, I hated 1941, did they? All right. And, uh, you know, you, you know, you look very good when you comb your hair. It's nice. You know, it's when you do. You know. Gilbert's supposed to be like this. You know, and uh, you girls are terrific looking. You're great. You know, I still mix you up. I, I can't tell oh, you apart, great. but it's great. You know, it's like, oh, it's that other girl that's very attractive yeah. and so forth. Yeah. And, uh... You know, Joe Piscopo, you're great. You know, the whole sports thing, the monosyllabic hollering and stuff. Thank you. It's inspired, you know, but uh, are you are you going to definitely stick with Joe Piscopo as your name? Uh, yeah, that, well, I was born with it, Bill. You know, it's my name. Wow. <clears throat> well, whatever. And uh, you, Eddie, you're black. <laughs> and, uh, that's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. You can do whatever you want. Matt and Pat and Yvonne, those guys are great. Yeah, yeah. Look, yeah. listen, you guys need help. Yeah. You need a lot of help, really. But hey, I saved the old cast. I can do it for you. you know. What do you think they were like before I got here, man? Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd was weak. I taught him a lot. Belushi was a shadow. Incredible. Jane Curtin had a serious drinking problem. Before. That's amazing. That's amazing. The important thing now is to be up. You know, you got to be up because if you're not up, I don't look good tonight. You know, you know the press. It can be terrible for you, but it doesn't matter, you yeah. know? Yeah. Rating yeah. steel, it just doesn't matter. It just, yeah. doesn't, matter. Right. It just yeah. doesn't matter. Right, it just, just doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. That's right, confidence. Sure, I haven't done this show in a year. Sure, I could go out there and make a fool of myself. Yeah. No, not sure, I could completely blow everything. I could completely well, blow everything and humiliate myself in front of millions of people on TV. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very real possibility. <laughs> 
I think I'm gonna be sick. Oh, Bill. Are you okay? Are you okay? Bill, take it easy. Bill, this guy's a basket case. Hey, look, look. We carried Elliot Gould. We could carry Bill Murray. No problem at all. All right. Just like I said, it just doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Hey, we're gonna take care of you, huh? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It just 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 So there it is, acknowledging the fact that nobody likes the show anymore, acknowledging the fact that nobody likes this cast except for Eddie Murphy and a couple of other people. Um, making a 1941 joke, wasn't happy about that, but it was a bomb, uh, I guess. Uh, and then, of course, making a reference to meatballs with the whole it just doesn't matter. Uh, and, and it was an interesting time when, uh, when Bill Murray came back, because Bill Murray was becoming a movie star. Uh, this was post-Caddyshack, but pre-Stripes. And obviously, like three years before, um, Ghostbusters would put him completely through the roof. But like Caddyshack had come out. Caddyshack was a big, huge hit. And, you know, and they, you know, of course, uh, notoriously, uh, Chevy Chase and Bill Murray had that scene together uh, in Caddyshack, where, of course, of course, they obviously have a history together. It's kind of interesting to watch that scene in Caddyshack. But anyway, the point is that this was post-Caddyshack, pre-Stripes. So Bill Murray wasn't the biggest star in the world either. Um, And then the aftermath of this, uh, Dick Ebersol was there that night. Um, and uh, Domanian was let go the following Monday. So literally, like two days later, Domanian was fired. Ebersol took over. They took a month-long hiatus when Ebersol wanted to replace the entire cast except for Murphy and Piscopo, and he got rid of Godfrey, Risley, Rocket. Uh, he got rid of Dylan and Matthias and a whole bunch of people, and then he brought in uh, – I, I made a mistake earlier. Tim Kazarinski is not in the cast at this point. Then he brings him in. But a lot of changes were made after this, uh, this uh, Bill Murray episode. And the Bill Murray episode itself, uh, considered not good. So Bill Murray returning in 1981. Uh, sometimes they come back, and sometimes it's not good. Now, the next one that we're going to talk about is not a cast member returning. It's an actress. A lot of actors and actresses, obviously, are repeat uh, hosts. We talked about that on, on um in an earlier episode of that show here where I talked about the Five Timers Club and people who have come back and hosted many, many times. You got your Tom Hanks's and your Alec Baldwin's and your John Goodman's and all those guys and, and a lot of repeat uh, people. Well, some people come back and do host several times. Lindsay Lohan was one of them. Uh, she hosted first on May 1st, 2004. This was right at the height of popularity of Mean Girls, and she had done uh, a lot of really great work up until that point. It was right before she did the Robert Altman movie. And it was at a time when the future seemed very, very bright for Lindsay Lohan. And I loved Lindsay Lohan at that time. In, uh, 2000, in the spring of 2004, when Mean Girls was out, and I'd seen all the stuff she did before that, like your Freaky Fridays and, um, and, uh, and uh, 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 the uh, uh, Parent Trap and all the other stuff that she did. I was a huge fan, especially in Mean Girls, and I thought she had the brightest future ever. And she hosted at that time in May, May 1st, 2004. It's season 29, episode 18. She was the host. Usher was a musical guest. And it was a great episode. She did a great job. Uh, she was very, very funny. Uh, they did a very funny Harry Potter sketch about going through puberty because, you know, Lindsay Lohan is, was blessed, uh, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with a shapely body at that point. She was, I think, 20 when she hosted uh, at that time. And they also did the, uh, the very funny first Debbie Downer sketch, uh, which, of course, is a legendary sketch. Now, Lindsay Lohan didn't have a lot to do with why that, that sketch is so legendary, but she was very funny in it. It was a solid show. She did a great job. And then she would go on to host a couple of more times, each about a year in between. And each time she came back to host, there were re, you know, the results uh, were reduced. They were not as good. Uh, and, and it kept getting worse to the point where at one point she came on and uh, and... Amy Poehler and Tina Fey were doing update and they pulled her aside during an update segment and said, don't do this. Don't party. You know, we were both in Mean Girls together and I wrote Mean Girls for you. Do not go down this Paris Hilton path. But she was. And in that time from 2004, you know, into the mid to the to, to the mid 2000s up to the 2000 then in, into the 10s. She notoriously had some horrible stuff. Uh, she was doing uh, late night stuff. She was out all the time partying. She was on TMZ. She, the tabloids were following her around. She was drinking. She was doing drugs. She had to go into rehab four or five times. She had plastic surgery. She was dating a woman. She was dating a man. She was dating celebrities. She was dating non-celebrities. She was living this crazy-ass lifestyle, and as a result, she wasn't showing up to work on time. She pissed off Jane Fonda when she made a movie with her. She was no longer bankable, and she was no longer hireable. 
She hosted in 2005, in May of 2005. Uh, that was uh, season 30, episode 20. Coldplay was the musical guest. Spotty at best. Then she hosted April 15, 2006. And at this point, um, she had had weird plastic surgery done, and uh, her reputation was getting worse and worse and worse. It was season 31, episode 16. Pearl Jam was the musical guest. And that was the last time she hosted until she came back almost six years later to host in 2012. And at this point in 2012, Lindsay Lohan's career was pretty much over. She had screwed it all up. She had that nighttime party and lifestyle that screwed it up. She had a lot of weird stuff going on in and out of rehab, you know, shoplifting, doing all kinds of crazy illegal drugs and shit. Just bad. She blew an unbelievably promising career. But they had her back in some sort of effort uh, to, to bring her back. And this was on March 3rd, 2012. She was the host. Jack White was a musical guest. It was season 37, episode 16. And when she hosted again, the first time she was great. She said, it's just the best. Um, and, uh, you know, the New York Times thought she did a good job. Now, her career stumbled huge after 2004, as I said. And a 2012 hosting gig that was aimed uh, to rehab her comedy career after years of tabloid decadence, it didn't go well. It was as if SNL felt some sort of obligation to get her back on her feet. And it's commendable, but this version of Lohan wasn't up to the task. The New York Times was particularly cruel, but not necessarily inaccurate, when they said, quote, Lohan's SNL appearance looked just as awful as her plastic surgery. Whenever acting talent, uh, whatever acting talent she once had seems to have vanished as she lackadaisically stumbled through her lines, uh, even though she had obviously uh, was reading them off of cue cards. It was bad. It was really, really a bad show. Um, and here's the monologue, which, of course, confronts that and deals with her reputation and the fact that SNL is giving her another chance to host, even though she probably shouldn't have. I know, right? <laughs> I feel lucky and grateful to be here tonight, and that's why I really want to thank all of my friends at SNL who trusted me enough to have me back. You know, this studio feels like a home to me. <laughs> Wait, so the alarm goes off if I leave the stage? I thought it was only if I left the studio. And I thought you guys trusted me. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Keenan. Hey, so good to see you again. Oh. I forgot how beautiful your eyes are. Thanks, Keenan. <laughs> can I see them? Uh, okay. Yeah, can I see your eyes, please? Uh, <laughs> you know... She's good. Keenan, I should be checking your eyes. Oh, I'll save you the trouble. I've been stoned since Good Burger. Hi, Tristan. Hey, Lindsay, you're doing a great job of hosting. Thank you. You know, I do get the feeling that everybody thinks I'm going to screw something up. No, no. Hey, look at me. Everybody here believes in you. Everyone. We wouldn't have you back otherwise. Thanks, Chris. Kristen, are you searching me? No. No, I'm... I'm a lesbian now. Been there, done that. She's clean. She's clean. You know, maybe it was too soon to come back. What? What do you know, Lindsay? Look, you can do it. This is the return of Lindsay Lohan. The new old Lindsay Lohan is back. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And listen to me. You're, you're, the, you're the same little girl who stole our hearts in the parent trap. I mean, you're, you're the teenager who dazzled us in Mean Girls. You're the lady who absolutely blew us away in the help. I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't in the help. That wasn't you? <laughs> no. It, it should have been you. Thank you. Anyway, look, the point is, everybody makes mistakes, but that doesn't mean you can't shake them off. I mean, you can do this, and if for any reason you can't, John Hamm's on standby as backup host. So. No, no, Lindsay. No. I'm sure, I'm sure you're going to be great. You're going to be just great. <laughs> I think you can do it. I think you can do it. All right, we've got a great show. Jack White is here. Stick around and we'll be right back. You can do it. Give me 
So uh, there it is. That's the opening monologue where, of course, they acknowledge the fact that she's got some issues. And uh, and then for the rest of the show, and I always root for Lindsay Lohan. I've been a fan of hers for a very long time. Um, and I know she's sober now and she's straight now. And she's, uh, in fact, at, at the time of this taping, she uh, is married and she's about to have a kid. And I wish her the best. She went through a rough time. And unfortunately, she blew a really great career and she was terrible that night. Uh, read from the cue cards. Uh, they did uh, some bits that... Uh, that weren't very funny. There was a real Housewives of Disney thing that they did. They did these uh, 2012 Psychic Awards. Uh, they did a Scared Straight bit, which is always funny, and that's when Keenan comes in to, to scare straight these, uh, these juvenile delinquents uh, played by Bill Hader and uh, Andy Samberg and Bobby Moynihan. And it was a regular bit that they did where uh, you know, uh, Keenan Thompson would come in as a, as, a, as, a, as a convict with a partner, and they would scare these kids straight. Uh, well, she came in with him, and that was another, you know, uh, inside joke about her, a meta joke about her, you know, going to jail. Uh, but that, but I will say this, but that, uh, that um, scared straight sketch, uh, despite the fact that she's clearly reading cue cards and not delivering her lines and was not good at all, was funny because Keenan's funny, Hader's funny, Sandberg's funny, Moynihan's funny, and of course Jason Sudeikis as the cop who brings in the convict is hilarious. And it has one of the great, that, that night, that sketch, that particular sketch, has one of the greatest moments of breaking in SNL history. If you go back and watch uh, the episode, by the way, it is of, uh, season 37, episode 16, if you want to go back and watch it. The scared straight bit with Keenan and Lindsay Lohan as the convicts scaring the guys. When they leave the room, there is a moment that happens between Sudeikis, Hader, Sandberg, and Moynihan where all four of them break uncontrollably, and it's one of the greatest breaking moments, characters breaking, actors breaking, ever in SNL history. So it, it did have that. Um, they did uh, a Shantrix commercial. There was a Verizon 2 commercial that they did. Um, and there was a, a the digital short was Afros, which was very funny. But everything that she did during the course of the show, um, she was relying heavily on uh, the cue cards. She looked, uh, you know, confused. And, uh, and the, the reports behind the, the scenes were that she was showing up late to rehearsals. She wasn't there. She read off the cue cards. And she was partying a lot. And it was still pretty bad. So they gave her that chance. And it didn't work out. So next on Sometimes They Come Back is probably the saddest example of Sometimes They Come Back. Uh, and that's when Chris Farley came back and hosted for the one time he ever hosted uh, when he came back in October. October 25th, 1997. It was season 23, episode four. Chris Farley was the host of Mighty Mighty Boss Tones or the musical guest. And this was a, less than two months before Chris Farley passed away. And he was in horrible shape. Horrible, horrible shape. And watching this episode is devastating. It's sad. It's painful. It's awful. Um, he was in the worst shape you could possibly imagine. He was fatter than he'd ever been. He was dangerously, horribly overweight. Uh, clearly not clean, not off the drugs, not off the booze, not off the partying. Um, and was in horrendous shape. Um, and um, again... Everybody was shocked at his appearance. And when he showed up that week, it was not good. Norm MacDonald said it was shocking to everybody that Lauren let the show go forward at all. Because on the Monday when he showed up, everybody was like, this guy's not going to make it through the week. They literally thought, this dude is not going to live through the week. Um, the show's cold open told the story. Um, uh, Tim Meadows convinces Lauren Michaels to let Farley host. And so I'm going to play the cold open. And then his monologue, he didn't even do a monologue. Uh, because he was in such bad shape, he didn't even do a monologue. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the staff were worried because he was huffing and puffing his way through the scenes. They thought he was going to have a heart attack on live television. Norm MacDonald said he blew his voice out in dress rehearsal, and the live show was just awful. You couldn't hear him. He was stumbling around like a marathon runner at a finish line before the show even began. Michaels tried to get through to Farley at the show's after party, which was just a horrendous train wreck. The show was a train wreck. People literally thought he was going to die. I remember watching it going, he's not going to make it through the show. This is unbelievable what horrible shape this guy is in and how fucked up he is. And clearly, he's not sober. Clearly, he's on something. Um, and in the most severe way he could, Lauren said, you need to take care of yourself. He said, I know, I know, Lauren. And that was the last time that Lauren spoke with him. He died less than uh, three months later. Um, it was a train wreck of a show. Uh, you know, they brought back, um, you know, uh, Matt Foley, which was really horrible. Um, and then the, the cold open, which I'm going to play back, uh, and the monologue and the little bit of the monologue. But again, like they did with Lindsay Lohan and like they did with, uh, you know, the cast, uh, you know, of season uh, six, they acknowledged the problem up front. So here's the cold open from uh, the night that Chris Farley hosts, a very sad 
uh, uh, episode. Well, we do need a host for October 25th. Cannot do better than Chris Farley, sir. I mean, fatty falls down, ratings go up. Believe me, I know. But how do I know he's not going to screw up? No, because I won't. <laughs> You're skeptical, and I don't blame you one bit. But this time, I am not gonna let you down, boss. You've said that before, Chris. What about what about the Marissa Tomei show? Oh, I had to go to the bathroom. I get confused. <laughs> what about the time with Pardo? Oh man, that was no big deal. Old guys throw up all the time, especially Pardo. <laughs> Oh, how about the time? Remember when I got pulled over by the cop and I said that I was you? <laughs> and you had to do that time in jail? It was awesome. That's just part of the no, fun. No, Chris, it wasn't awesome. Remember the time I set Timmy up with the with the transvestite and he went out with her for three weeks? Stacy? Stacy. Chris, do you remember any of the John Travolta show? No. Not, not, not any of it. But that was then. This is now. This time, I'm not just talking the talk, but I'm going to be walking the walk from this. Yeah. And he's got a great sponsor who's here to keep an eye on him, yes. really. Hey, Lauren. Yes. Can you? You're, you're finally sponsor. You just got out of Betty Ford. Well, that's neither here nor there, Lauren. The, the important thing is that Chris has been doing great. And he's, he's completely sober for, what, two weeks? Six. Six. Six two, whatever. Six. But what counts is Chris is not just talking the talk. He's walking the walk. Why do I not believe you? Lauren, I just want you to know something. If you decide not to let me host, I'll totally understand. But if you do let me host, I swear to you that I will not let you down. Can you still fall through a table? Can I? God got goofy. Show him. I'll show you. Because <laughs> this isn't a breakaway. But I'll tell you, you can host. I can. All right. Live from New York, it's Saturday night. Uh, and, uh, you know, and so that ends. And obviously that's Chevy Chase who shows up, uh, you know, um, uh, there uh, as his sponsor, wacky comedy thing. Um, and he slammed on the desk and it wasn't a breakaway and whatever. Uh, and it was just sad to watch. And again, he looked horrible. Um, I don't know. And then, like, he didn't even do a monologue. They did a bit where he fell asleep in Anna Gasteyer's. Instead of doing a monologue, they, he did a bit where he fell asleep in her, in her dressing room. And in order to save the show, because he really literally couldn't do a monologue, they sent out Tim Meadows. And then they sent out Chris Rock to basically save the day, basically do the monologue. So all that Chris Farley had to do was introduce the musical guest, and he even fucked that up. So here's them trying to save Chris Farley from even embarrassing himself during a monologue by bringing in a big gun like Chris Rock. <laughs> Tim, I got Chris Rock. Get off the stage. <laughs> You know, I'm on now more than when I was on the show. (laughs) Timmy, come back, come back, come back. I mean, I'm not the host tonight. And Timmy damn sure ain't the host tonight. (laughs) (laughs) But the host tonight is our good friend, Chris Farley. Come on, Chris. Here we go, now. Let's do it. Let's do it, baby. That's right. That's right, Chris. Now, you know, the three of us started the same year, and a lot's happened since then, you know? Chris Hare's gone off to Hollywood to make big movies. Me, I've got my own show on HBO. Yeah. And Timmy's still black. (laughs) Good God. 
thank you, Chris. I've really learned some lessons tonight. You know what I've learned? I've learned lessons about responsibility. Responsibility. Being responsible not only to myself, but to the people around me. Yeah. That means you guys. I think it's time to quit goofing around. I think it's time to grow up, fellas. I want you to live and he's gonna be okay. All right, baby. Okay. I'm the new Chris, okay, fellas? Now, stay we got a great show tonight. Mighty, mighty Boston's are here. So So, uh, yeah, um, this is the saddest example of uh, sometimes they come back. Um, and the show went downhill from there. And it was embarrassing and horrible from the first moment. And it was sad. Um, I personally uh, ran into Chris Farley um, at a bar um, about two weeks before he died in uh, November, um, about a month after this was uh, this show aired. And I saw him in a bar and it was uh, he was it was horrible. Uh, it was the, the, and I had seen him in bars in Chicago many times. But this uh, the shape that he was in, I'd never seen him in that kind of shape. And then uh, a couple of weeks after that, less than about three weeks later, he uh, he was found dead in the in his uh, condo in, uh, in the Hancock building. Um, but the saddest example of sometimes they come back is uh, Chris Farley, um, episode uh, four of season 23. So anyway, uh, but the most sort of like notorious return is not just a return for one episode, but a return for an entire season. So the return of, for an entire season, not just one episode, and that would be Lorne Michaels' return. Lorne Michaels was gone for five years. Gene Demanian took over, then Dick Eppersall took over, and they tried many, many ways to change the show or get it back on track or whatever, and it didn't work. For the years that Lorne was away, the ratings dropped, and the show just wasn't the same. Uh, and at one point, Ebersol decided that he wanted to bring in some all-stars. So we hired uh, people like Billy Crystal, um, and he hired, uh, you know, like uh, these big stars to come in. Uh, Christopher Guest and Martin Short and Billy Crystal were hired. Um, and But no return was more anticipated than Lauren Michaels' homecoming in 1985. But it had been maybe the worst of all. It had been revived and brought back. But then he came in with this idea that he was going to try to get 80s. He was going to try to get younger and appeal to younger people by not only bringing in people who were hot in the mid-80s in the teen world, but also bringing in people who were actors and not necessarily people who were from Second City or from the improvisational world or even comedy. Like he brought in actors and, and stars uh, and kind of took the, the baton from Ebersol, who brought in Billy Crystal and, and Martin Short and Christopher Guest, but he went younger, skewed younger. And he brought in uh, you know a bunch of young people. I will just play the opening credits. And uh, Tom Hanks, uh, when he went in and hosted uh, for that, uh, the first time he ever hosted, he hosted during that time period. He said it was kind of a cobbled together cast. Dick Ebersol says it was a very dark year. It was the roughest season Lauren ever had doing the show ever. And everybody came back out of the woodwork to attack him. And it's no surprise that Chevy Chase made things worse when he came back to host, telling uh, Robert Downey that his father sure went to hell. Uh, after identifying a new cast member, Terry Sweeney, as the gay guy, Chase invited him to lick his balls before pitching a sketch idea where he said, how about we say you have AIDS and we weigh you every week? This was Chevy Chase coming back, and it was Michael's idea to bring Chevy Chase back. Things went so bad that Lauren Michael's comeback season, uh, that NBC, uh, the head at that time, Brandon Tartikoff, was ready to cancel the show by April. He was talked out of it, thanks of a promise of a, of a fresh start the next year. But the show's final show, um, could not have dealt with the, fa with, the, with, the, with the failure more gracefully. Um, Lauren arrived on the set to tell John Lovitz to go wait in the limo. Um, and, uh, and Billy, uh, and uh, meanwhile, host Billy Martin set, stage, uh, set the stage on fire. And that was kind of indicative of the entire season. Now, I'm going to play back a couple of clips here. This is when Lauren came back. The clips I'm going to play are from the very first episode of that season. And that was November 9th, 1985, season 11, episode one. Madonna was the host. Madonna could not have been hotter at that time. She was the biggest pop star in the world, the biggest female star in the world. Uh, Live Aid had happened that year. In 1985, no one was bigger in the music world and even the, in the culture world than Madonna. She just got married to Sean Penn. She was in the tabloid. She was on TV. She was the biggest person in the world. So getting her as the host was great, but... She had no acting ability at that time. She had no experience acting, certainly no experience doing comedy of any kind, but she was the host, and Simple Minds were the music guests. Simple Minds uh, were obviously connected to the 80s uh, genre as well. 
Now, I'm going to play the very opening so that you can hear the names of the cast members. I've talked about this on other episodes, but you can hear the names of the cast members that um, Lauren Michaels, upon his return, thought would be a good idea to hire. So here is the very opening of, uh, of that show. Um, of, so listen to who the cast members were, and, uh, and this is the big change that Lauren Michaels decided to make in 1985 when he skewed younger, when he skewed 80s, and when he skewed actor-actress, not comedy, and when he had someone who was a pop star and not an actor or actress host. It's Saturday Night comedy love slave for the evening. Actually, I shouldn't say that anymore because I'm married now, and while we're on the subject of marriage, I'd like to clear a few things up about my wedding. Apparently, there was a rumor going around that the wedding was a secret, that the location was secret, and that we only wanted our friends and family to attend. That was a lie. In fact, the wedding was no secret at all. Sean and I took out this full-page ad in the L.A. Times. <laughs> Apparently, nobody saw it because we were expecting 20,000 people and only 28 showed up. So that's your opening right there. And again, you heard the cast um, skewing young, skewing 80s, and Madonna was your host. And that kind of uh, attitude and style um, didn't work for that season. And uh, the big return of Lauren Michaels turned out to be not just one episode, but an entire season of disappointment. Um, and uh, this, this is just a rundown of who the hosts were. Chevy Chase, Sheila E. was your musical guest. Pee Wee Herman, Queen Ida, Zydeco Band. John Lithgow and Mr. Mister. Tom Hanks and Sade. Terry Gar, Dream Academy and the Cult. The most notorious episode of that season, Harry Dean Stanton and the replacements for, season, for episode seven of that season. Everybody was drunk the entire time. Robert Downey Jr., Anthony Michael Hall, they were drunk during most of the season. Or, uh, but that night, Harry Dean Stanton got everybody loaded. The Replacements played two songs. It's one of the most notorious musical performances, uh, guest uh, appearances ever in the history of the show. Uh, they were completely loaded. They were banned from the show after that. But the Harry Dean Stanton Replacements episode, uh, season 11, episode 7, Lauren's return, uh, unbelievable. Dudley Moore was horrible. Al Green was a musical guest. Ron Reagan in a bit of stunt casting because Ronald Reagan was the, was the president at the time and Ron Reagan uh, had come out and obviously Ronald Reagan didn't uh, really like the gay community very much. Uh, and so that, and the Nelsons were the musical guests that night. Jerry Hall was the host. Stevie Ray Vaughan was the musical guest that night. Jay Leno, horrible as the host with Neville Brothers. Griffin Dunn. Uh, was the host with Roseanne Cash. George Went and Francis Coppola were the hosts when Philip Glass was the musical guest. And they tried to do like a meta joke where Francis Coppola was directing the episode the whole time. And they would break character while George Went was the host. Didn't work. Oprah Winfrey was the host before she became, you know, the worldwide phenomenon that she is and one of the most important women of all time. This was even before uh, Color Purple. 
Oprah Winfrey, terrible as the host. Joe Jackson was the musical guest. Tony Danza, one of the worst episodes in SNL history, was the host with Laurie Anderson as a musical guest. Catherine Oxenberg co-hosted with Paul Simon. Jimmy Breslin was the host. They couldn't get a lot of people, by the way. It got to the point where it was like, no, the show sucks. Even though Lauren's back, we will not come and host it. Jimmy Breslin was the host. Level 42 was the musical guest. By the way, a lot of good musical guests, by the way, that season. And then the final episode was Billy Martin with the help of Angelica Houston. George Clinton and, and uh, Funkadelic uh, were the musical guests. And it was a nightmare season. It was a transitional season with a bunch of weird stars like Randy Quaid and Joan Cusack and, you know, and Robert Downey and all these weird stars. Bad ideas on Lauren's part. A terrible return for Lauren Michaels. That is considered an awful season. So it wasn't just one episode for this Sometimes They Return. It was an entire season. But it all got kicked off with a terrible episode with Madonna as your host. So those are the sometimes they come back examples of sometimes it's not good when you come back. All of this stuff is available. Sometimes you got to look for it online. It's available on the YouTube. If you have Peacock, all of these episodes in some form or another are out there. So uh, anyway, that was a look back at Lauren Michaels' return, Chris Farley's return, Lindsay Lowen's return, Bill Murray's return, and Chevy Chase's return. And they all weren't very good. So. Another little uh, behind-the-scenes look at some of the stuff that happened during Saturday Night Live. My thanks to everybody for listening. My thanks to Jason Skaggs for doing the music. If you would like to leave a voicemail, 773-417-6948. Any comments, questions, email me, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits. And my thanks to you for listening to that show. It hasn't been funny in years, an SNL podcast. We'll see you next time. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow.